MPs slammed the CBC for failing to carry out the most basic element of the CBC's mandate. Plus, the CBC did not learn their lesson from those cringeworthy op-eds that continue to publish the world's stupidest opinion pieces. And finally, the media joined the COP26 party to promote total doomsday scenarios and fearmonger about climate. It's Fake News Friday. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. Hi everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to The Candace Malcolm Show. I love Fridays, I love our Fake News Friday show. We get to dissect the media, show you all the ways that they're just so bad at their jobs. We, we usually focus on the CBC, but sometimes other journalists and Canadian media outlets get special recognition and we have a lot of content uh, to get to. But first, if you are watching this video on YouTube, don't forget to like this video, leave us a comment, subscribe to True North, and hit that little notification bell so that you never miss an episode. If you're watching over on Facebook, don't forget forget to like this video, share it with your friends, leave us a comment, let us know what you think, or leave us any tips or ideas you have for future episodes of Fake News Friday. If you see any terrible examples of the media out there completely lying or misrepresenting the facts or presenting their opinions as facts, uh, let us know, post it in the comment section so we can get to it. And also don't forget to like our True North page. Finally, if you are listening to the show in podcast form, please leave us a five-star review if you enjoy the show. And don't forget to subscribe to the Candace Malcolm Show. All right, so let's start off with this story. Over at Blacklocks, parliamentarians slammed the CBC for blacking out local evening newscasts. So the CBC showed some poor judgment. Uh, that's what the headline reads over at Blacklocks. So we learned that network managers on March 18th, 2020, one week into the pandemic, decided to black out the 6 p.m. newscasts in Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Regina, Winnipeg, Windsor, Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, Fredericton, Halifax, Charlottetown, and St. John. So basically every city in the country. Um, all regular programming was restored by June 15th. This is the first time the CBC has done this since 1952. So the CBC at the time called it a COVID precaution, but did not explain why cutback did not affect the French language services. Okay, so this was only English CBC. I cannot stress how short-sighted this would be in our province given our reliance on local news, said then MP, Liberal MP Scott Simmons of Newfoundland and Labrador, who was the chair of the Commons Heritage Committee. He wrote this in a letter. The lack of understanding and focus as to the proper role of a public broadcaster is deeply concerning, and it brings into serious questioning the judgment of the executive in times of crisis, wrote MP Wayne Easter, then the Liberal MP in Prince Edward Island and chair of the Commons Finance Committee. Easter said the cuts left Prince Edward Island without a local newscast. The CBC, as a condition of their license, promised at least seven hours of local programming per week. Senator Percy Down of PEI told the chamber another condition was they could not change without approval from the CRTC following a public process of consultation. None of this was done. The CRTC failed in their responsibility, said Downey, who called the news blackout idiotic. From the beginning of the pandemic, when we needed the most for information, they abandoned the field. CBC executives also received formal protests from the leader of the opposition in Newfoundland and Labrador, the leader of the Newfoundland NDP, and a local First Nations group, and the Federation of PEI Municipalities. So even if you defend the CBC, even if you're one of those people who loves the CBC and really believes in the idea of having a public broadcaster or government-run broadcaster, that the, 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 the sort of basic role that CBC fails 
is providing local newscasts in markets that don't have the private sector alternatives. So places where there isn't a CTV or a global newscast. Um, the fact that CBC right in the middle of a pandemic said, yeah, you know what, we're just going to stop. We're just going to stop doing the news for a couple months here because of COVID. Um, so sorry, you don't get any news at a time where we're having a global pandemic where people really need the news, uh, where CBC is relied upon in those communities. The fact that CBC would just back out again. What, what a total, total joke of a network. What a disgrace. It is so unbelievable that these people get 1.2 billion taxpayer dollars and they don't even know how to run the most basic elements of a newscaster. If there's any reason to defund this network, there it is right there. The fact that they can't even fulfill the most basic aspects of their mandate, it is idiotic. Absolutely, it is idiotic. They they didn't follow through with the basic thing that they were supposed to, but of course, it's the CPC, it's the Canadian government, there's no accountability, there'll be no punishment. They get a stern talking to from these parliamentarians. They don't care. They shrug their shoulders, cash your check, move on, do whatever the heck they want. Uh, that's the CBC in a nutshell. Okay, moving on this one. So this is a funny story. This was brought to my attention the other day on the program by uh, my colleague, Anthony Fury, who, who reminded me of this, this editorial piece that the CBC put out. It's an editor's note. It says, the planet is changing, so will our journalism. CBC News commits to doing even more climate change journalism. So <laughs> CBC, uh, what, they're, they're finally going to talk about climate change? Uh, CBC is one of the worst offenders when it comes to ratcheting up fear, fear-mongering, promoting this sort of climate anxiety, climate alarmism, doomsday scenarios. Most of the time, they don't pan out to anything. But this idea that the planet is going to end if we don't uh, send Justin Trudeau and 300 other delegates to Scotland as part of this climate change conference, uh, the whole world's going to end, basically, in a nutshell. So CBC is already one of the worst offenders. And here they are pledging that uh, their journalism is going to change because, what, they weren't covering climate change enough, and now they want to cover it even more. And somehow that's going to be a substantive change. So I'll read from the piece. It says... The impact of climate on our changing planet may be the most pressing story of our time. Is an environmental story? Yes, but it's also a story about health, the economy, jobs, energy, food, water, security, geopolitics, justice, and equity. Okay, so it's not just, uh, so, so we're learning here, we're not just going to hear more about the environment, but we're going to hear it in the lens of radical left-wing uh, rhetoric here, like um, justice and equity. Equity um, is the idea that we should have equality of outcome, not just equality of opportunity, not just equal treatment under the law, equal recognition. No, when you're talking about equity, you're talking about equal outcomes, equal outcomes. And that basically is communism. Everyone has to have the exact same outcome. Um, not, not about where we start, but it's about where we finish. And so you, you see it right there in the language that they're, they're really talking about something quite radical here. It says, no sector will be spared its impact. Climate change will define every aspect of our lives and those of generations to come. Every aspect of our life will be defined by climate change. So that what includes uh, your marriage, your kids, your house, like we're supposed to believe that every single element of our lives uh, is somehow going to be affected uh, by this. Okay, CBC. So here they say, moving forward, we commit to doing even more our pledge is simply that climate change and the endeavors to mitigate its effect will get the sustained journalistic focus and attention they deserve at a time 
most experts describe as an inflection point for the planet. So again, if we don't send Justin Trudeau to Scotland and 300 other delegates and 400 private planes, if we don't send 30,000 world officials to Scotland, the planet is going to end. But don't worry, these liberals are here to save the planet. And the CBC wants to tell us that that's what they're going to do. I really don't understand the point of this editorial note here, editor's blog. Um, yes, we know you're obsessed with climate change. Yes, we know you promote climate alarmism. Um, no, that's not a change in your journalism. That's just what you've been doing for a very, very long time. And you're going to continue to do it even more so. Uh, so expect more propaganda uh, from the CBC on climate. Again, I don't understand the purpose of this other than uh, what maybe it was a slow news day over at the CBC and they wanted content or they just wanted to pat themselves on the back or they wanted to share pictures like this of little kids being used as props. Uh, these poor kids, I, I can't imagine um, how much anxiety uh, they have from people around them telling them uh, that the world is going to end. And if we don't all just what completely abandon our modern way of life, uh, give up on cars, airplanes, um, heating our homes in the winter, all, all these things um, that, that, that fossil fuels enable, if we don't just kind of give that all up, the planet is going to end. So, so here we're kind of left with this um, position, which again is really hard for little kids to understand. It really does promote a lot of anxiety. But the idea is we either um, abandon our modern way of life or our planet um, implodes in a fiery ball um, of, of flames, which 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 is a pretty pretty scary proposition, especially for a little kid. So again, just total ridiculousness uh, from the CBC. So if you tuned into last week's show, you know that we covered um, this really really silly. Uh, opinion piece that was published by the CBC. CBC only recently started doing opinion pieces. This is something from the last couple of years, uh, but it's really strange because the state broadcaster is there to provide news and news is different than opinion, right? There, there, there's sort of different different areas of journalism. You can be an opinion columnist. That's what I do. I write an opinion column for the Toronto Sun. Or you can be a straight news reporter, someone who just provides the news. Of course, uh, the, the, the whole trouble with journalism in, in a nutshell is that the, the lines between these two types of journalism is really, really blurred. So when you're watching The Candace Malcolm Show, when you're watching True North, when you're reading my columns in the Toronto Sun or on TNC.news, you know my worldview, you know my position, you know the way that I'm going to view a story and the lens that I'm going to use to present the news. Uh, the problem is that so many other journalists, every other journalist um, and every other outlet also has their own worldview. They have their own political opinions, uh, but they lie and they pretend that they're completely neutral. They pretend that they're completely apolitical, but then by the positions that they put out and the way that they talk about different political parties, it's very obvious that they're biased and that it's full of spin and that they're not straight journalists. They're not straight news reporters, uh, but they're dishonest with the public about where they stand. And, and, and that's why trust in journalism really is at an all-time low. But again, this idea that the CBC is going to put out opinion, it's really strange because it's the state broadcaster. It's not supposed to be pushing out opinions. It's kind of the purpose of a opinion journalist is to uh, put out strong opinions that some people are going to really disagree with, other people are going to really like. And by virtue of that, you're kind of polarizing or divisive in some ways. And so again, when it's the CBC doing that, it's like, is this the official endorsed position of the CBC? Because if it's controversial, it reflects really badly on the CBC. That's what we had last week with that really strange tirade uh, from an elections Canada official who believed that all white people and all conservatives were evil racist bigots. Um, basically like a paranoid uh, screed about how much um, she distrusts her fellow Canadians. Um, and it was so bad that the CBC had to actually go out and rewrite it um, because it was so awful. Well, the CBC didn't learn its lesson. They're continuing to pump out these bizarre opinion pieces. So a couple of note from this week. 
here is a piece that says, if you really want to affect climate change, talk to women. And then the subheadline here, it says, it's not that men are useless, it's that women are useful and are more likely to take action, okay? It's not that men are useless, it's just that women are more useful, okay, CBC. So let's delve into this piece a little bit. So the basic premise of this piece is that women are more susceptible to climate marketing, and so coming from a marketing perspective, it's better to target women because they're more, um, more susceptible to the messages, they're more likely um, to not know a lot about the issue, and therefore, uh, when you tell them a little about the issue, uh, they're more likely to buy into whatever you're saying. In a nutshell, that's what uh, this piece is about. So she says, according to research by Yale Climate Communications, we also know that women are much more likely to be undecided or admit that they don't know about many of Canada's key climate policies as evidenced by recent polling. For example, in April 2021, a poll by Campaign Research said that women were more than twice as likely across all age groups to say they didn't know whether they supported car carbon tax, men were almost twice as likely to say they strongly oppose the policy across all age groups. She believes that household spending is based on climate change. She says women are much likelier than men to control household spending, which is where the big climate decisions are made. Who should you talk to about getting that new heat pump or energy efficient appliance? The person who is worried about climate and also happens to manage the household budget. So she's saying to focus your energy in promoting climate alarmism at women so that they have more anxiety about the climate, so that they're more worried about the climate, so that they will do what you say. So, so again, taking a step back, she's basically saying that women are more ignorant on the topic and therefore uh, more persuadable, which, which doesn't really speak uh, very highly about women or about the tactics of uh, the CBC or, or, or people who are pushing uh, climate propaganda. Now moving on to the next uh, CBC op-ed here. This is another one of those first person's essays. So similar to the one that we talked about last week. Uh, this one says, my climate anxiety has turned me into a trash hoarder. And then the person says, in an effort not to be wasteful, I'm creating a bigger mess at home. So again, really just uh, strange things to be promoting over at the CBC. Are we supposed to be like this guy? Uh, really what, what he's saying is that all of this doomsday scenario, all this idea of climate alarmism, the planet's going to end uh, if we don't take action right away, uh, is, is making people go crazy. Uh, and, and this is a pretty uh, good first person uh, account of that. Okay, I want to move on here. So we have the COP26 uh, conference going on over in Scotland. We'll be covering that really closely here on the Candace Malcolm show. And it really got me thinking about all of the doomsday uh, scenarios and projections that we've been hearing about uh, for so long that don't really make sense. And I want to uh, point out a couple instances of the media sort of jumping in and, and promoting, uh, do, doing the dirty work of all these politicians who want you to believe that we have some kind of an existential threat when it comes to the climate, that the planet's going to end if we don't take action, if all of these uh, officials aren't immediately flown to Scotland uh, so they can sit around and come up with schemes that will make us all poorer and uh, make them feel better so, so they can virtue signal, basically. And so so I went onto Twitter the other day and this story was promoted all over Twitter. It was from Time Out London. It says nine cities that could be underwater by 2030. So this is the kind of alarmism that they love to promote, this idea that our world will somehow uh, substantially change, fundamentally change in our lifetime. 
they love round numbers too. So it's always by a certain date. It's always by, you know, 2000, 2020. Uh, this one's by 2030. So nine cities that could be underwater. Here's what the headline says. It says global warming can be difficult to properly visualize. If you're not directly threatened by rising sea levels, suffering water shortages, or ravaged by wildfires, how do you know it's really happening? That's why projects like Climate Central are essential. The website creates maps that show which parts of the world could find themselves underwater due to rising sea levels as early as 2030. So again, the whole concept is just a fear monger here. So I took a look at this map, these cities that supposedly could be underwater, and it's, it's just so silly. It's so absurd, mostly because all of these cities are already underwater. These cities are already underwater. So we'll just keep going on this Twitter thread here. So it says Amsterdam, Rotterdam, and The Hague sit low, flat, and close to the North Sea. The Dutch are famed for their flood defenses, and it seems the country's dikes, dams, barriers, levees, and floodgates could become even more essential in the years to come. So, 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 they're, so they're trying to scare us and say that Amsterdam could be underwater. But then it says right here that the Dutch are famed for their flood defenses. And why is it? Why are they famed for their flood defenses? Why are they famed for the the country's dikes, dams, barriers, levees, and floodgates, it's because Amsterdam is already underwater. It's, it's underwater, it's been underwater for a very, very long time, and that is why they have all these systems. That's why they become world leaders and innovators in this idea that the city is built below sea level, and so they have to have all of these mechanisms uh, to keep the city from flooding, even though it floods from time to time. And so fact check here, 26% of the Netherlands is already below sea level, 50% of the country is less than one meter above sea level. And so because sea level varies by about 1.5 meters high and low tides and during storms, it means that at some times, currently right now, up to 60% of the Netherlands is vulnerable to flooding from the sea. So, so, so that's why they have all of these systems and it's already underwater. So the silly idea that global warming is going to cause the city to flood is absurd. Uh, it goes on, most of the examples are, are just like this. They found cities that are below sea level and they say that, the, that they're gonna be flooded by 2030. Well, yeah, of course, because they're built below sea level. Uh, here's another one, uh, New Orleans. So it says, again, without the city's systems of levees, New Orleans would be severely threatened by rising sea levels. Even with them, the damage looks catastrophic. Again, fact check, why is New Orleans vulnerable to flooding? It's because it's sinking. So this is according to CNN. When it was built, New Orleans was barely above sea level, but it was built on loose soil. The drainage system has unintended consequences. And so New Orleans is already underwater and it's sinking. And that's been the case for a really, really long time. So don't sit there and blame climate change. So so this is like one rare case where a media might actually get it right. They, they might, their predictions might actually come true that these 10 cities are underwater in 2030 because most of them are already underwater in 2021. So so, so that one was fine. Uh, but I do want to highlight some climate predictions that went horribly wrong. We've, I've covered this before on Trim North. I've covered it before on the Candace Malcolm Show. Uh, but because everyone's out at COP26 pontificating and bloviating about all their climate importance, uh, it's worthwhile to say that Human beings are often wrong. Human beings are uh, usually worried about our environment that's sort of like hardwired in. And for, for a lot, at least the last 50 years, uh, there have been scientists and, and public intellectuals and world leaders who have claimed that some various threat is going to end humanity, that something that we do, uh, be it because of famines or because of an ice age coming or because of a nuclear holocaust or because of uh, now climate change and global warming, uh, the planet's going to end, species are all going to go extinct. Uh, they've been making these predictions for a very long time. So let's look at a couple examples of some climate predictions that have gone horribly wrong. 
So back in 1978, the Vancouver Sun cited a paper in the Journal of Science, the University of Washington researchers predicted that the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere will have doubled by 2020, and yet the CO2 in the atmosphere hasn't come close to doubling since 1978. So back in 1978, when the article was published, there were 335 parts per million of CO2 in the atmosphere. But in February 2020, the same organization reported that there were 413 parts per million in the atmosphere. That represents a increase of about 23%, a far cry from doubling. Okay, moving on. This is a claim that we have covered on the show before because Al Gore talked about it in his 2006 documentary, An Inconvenient Truth. He predicted that there would be no snow on Mount Kilimanjaro by 2020. This is something that lots and lots of different geologists um, and environmentalists predicted, uh, according to a geologist at the Ohio State University. Lonnie Thompson said, at this rate, all of the ice will be gone between 2010 and 2020, and that is probably a conservative estimate. And yet, in February 2020, the Times of London reported that the staying power of Mount Kilimanjaro snow defines Al Gore's gloomy forecast. So this prediction apparently helped tourism for Mount Kilimanjaro. A, uh, the owner of a trekking company called Just Kilimanjaro said that the snow has certainly got my clients talking. Many people have made Kilimanjaro a bucket list priority because of the Al Gore deadline. But when they get there, they're pleasantly surprised to see lots and lots of snow. And finally, this one comes from True North uh, over at tnc.news. Glacier National Park removed a sign predicting that the glaciers would be gone by 2020. So a national park in the United States, the northern part of the U.S., just south of the Alberta border in Montana called Glacier National Park. I've been there. It is absolutely beautiful. But there was a sign that said that the park's glaciers will be gone by 2020 due to global warming. Uh, they had to take that sign down, though, because because the, uh, the glaciers are still going strong. There are still 26 glaciers at Glacier National Park, and uh, the, the sign was quietly removed in late 2019 uh, because the prediction just simply didn't come true. And this isn't a bad thing. This is a great thing. All of the fear-mongering, all of the doomsday scenarios didn't turn out. That's great news. That's great news. It means that our planet is persevering. It means that there are innovations, that human ingenuity is making the world a better place. So don't listen to the people who want you to be crippled with fear, who want you to be hoarding garbage because of your climate anxiety. It's not a healthy way to live. Uh, no, the CBC is wrong. Uh, climate change doesn't impact every aspect of our lives. Uh, sure, we should care for the environment. We should do our best to make sure that future generations get to enjoy the natural environment in the same way that we do. We should be committed to preserving the natural environment, to make it clean, to make sure that, uh, you know, that, that, that we're not doing something to catastrophically damage the planet. Um, but again, all of these doomsday scenarios that are promoted by a hysterical alarmist media do not help. They only make the situation worse. Thanks so much for watching. This is Fake News Friday. I'm Kenneth Malcolm, and this is The Kenneth Malcolm Show.